Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. I'm Lori, and we are the 20-Minute Scriptorian, and today we are headed into the book of Hebrews, and we'll try to get through a couple of chapters today as we continue on Come Follow Me in the New Testament. So last time we went through the all about section in which we took a step back and we did the context, the history, who it was written to, who it was written by, why it was written, and some of the major major themes and structure, some ideas. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that, that will really help understanding what's going on. Um, But today we're going to just jump right into the actual verses and go through some things. So first, I am actually going to read from the English Standard Version. You probably have the King James, so uh, they're very similar, but there are a few differences, so I thought, well, I'll read this just to help out. Now, Hebrews, as I've already told you, is one of my very favorite books in the New Testament, uh, probably my very favorite book, because it has so many Old Testament references, so it resonates with me because that is my favorite area of study recently. Um, One of the things that you have to remember with the book to the Hebrews is this, it could be a letter, it could be a sermon, it's very different, but it has a lot of references. So one thing I'm going to challenge you to do is to go back and look up all of the Old Testament references, and it will take you some time, but it's well worth it. And here's why. Some of these chapters are going to teach you the most about the role of the Savior than any other book besides maybe the Book of Mormon or some of the um gospels so you can just find some really fascinating in-depth visions into uh, what they were uh, seeing the role of christ the book of hebrews takes a different tack a little bit to describe some of the roles of jesus now remember there are kind of three basic roles that christ is going to take for an ancient jewish person there were roles of someone being a prophet So you think of someone like Moses or uh, Nathan, Samuel, Adam, right? There are all these prophets in the Old Testament. And so they knew that when Moses said there was going to be another prophet that was going to be, there was going to be that prophet, there was going to be a prophet that was going to be like Moses, meaning there was someone that was greater, that Moses was just a similitude of, and that there was going to be that prophet that was going to come and he was going to, bring his people to a new promised land. He was going to deliver them. He was going to bring them the covenant, the priesthood, a higher law, all the things that Moses did, but a new improved version, we could say. So you're going to see a lot of references back to Moses. And so Jesus is that prophet. So you're going to see some of those roles. The other one is you're going to see king. Now, especially some of the gospels really go through how Christ is the new king. You know things from Matthew. He came from a Davidic line. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 has this promise that 
David's line would go on his dynasty forever and that the scepter would never pass from him. And so this uh, kingship would come through Judah. And so we know that Christ is, is from that same Davidic line. And we know that David is just a symbol as well of this great king that would come. And my favorite part of uh, judges is this, what's called an inclusio. An inclusio is kind of a repeated phrase or something uh, like bookend starts at the beginning or at the end. Could be at a book, could be at a chapter, could be at a verse. But the book of Judges has this inclusio that says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it was because there was no king in Israel. And then they go through all these stories about how terrible it was. And then at the end, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and there was no, because there was no king in Israel. And then it leads right into Judges into there will be a king. And you hit Saul and David and Solomon and then Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And it's just over and over again how as good as some of them were, they just failed. They failed the people. So there was no real king, but they're waiting for this king. This king is going to be King Jesus. Last, what's the third big role? So you saw people taking in the Old Testament, these leaders, they were prophet, priest, king so priest and so hebrews is going to go back and it's going to also give us this layer of the priesthood and what it meant if you remember in exodus 19 when moses uh, is on sinai and he makes the covenant lord makes the covenant with him he says that it will be a kingdom of priests a royal priesthood a peculiar people and so he's saying this this nation of the house of Israel is going to be a royal priesthood. And and so this covenant is given first to a family, to Abraham, and now to a people. And they're going to bless the nations. They're going to bless everyone. And so you have to say, well, what there were this royal priesthood. Who is the royal priesthood? And what did they do? And who cares, right? So, and here's why. Because brothers and sisters, we are the royal priesthood. You are the royal priesthood today. So what is the role of being this, this nation of priests and priestesses? What is this nation of being royal and that? Um, so think back to some of the things, the roles of what a priest what re- was required. Well, one of them is that this priest is going to act. So you can say priest and, and you can insert here Jesus. We're going to see this. is going to act as an ambassador or the vehicle um, that that God has chosen for people to kind of mediate between them and their God. So we see Adam was the first priest, right, that represented uh, the Lord and served him as well. And then Adam, you know, grew up and it moves on and then it goes on. Uh, they also, are not, besides just acting as kind of an intercessor, they're going to be God's representative as well. So they're going to be, they're going to administer the covenant or the agreement. So you would go to the tabernacle and the priest or the priest is going to officiate in these ordinances that remind you of the covenant. So just like today where the priests sit at the covenant table of the sacrament of the last supper, the sacrament every Sunday, they are officiating in the covenant that they then administer to us in the bread and the water. And then they would administer in the different sacrifices that also showed the sacrifice of the lamb, the sacrifice of Christ. Have we draw near to him, fellowship with him, and regain God's presence? So they're going to minister on behalf of God as his representative, be an intercessor intercessor for us, but they're also going to officiate in the sacrifices or in the ordinances 
that are part of the covenant. So those are a couple of things that you're going to think about, right? They also have some things are qualified to be, right? They have to be called of God. Uh, in the ancient days, they had to be the right family. Um, and, and, and just there's a whole bunch there. So there's just a ton we can do. And we talked about Melchizedek a little bit. Oh, I forgot to mention this last time. Uh, Melchizedek in Hebrew, uh, Melech is king and Zadok is righteousness or justice. So the word Melchizedek is kind of a, a compound word for the king of justice, the king of righteousness. So that is literally what that word means. Mel, Melech, Zadok, um, Melchizedek is a king of righteousness or king of justice or righteous judge, righteous king would be another way to do it. So anyway, okay, so back to Hebrews. So I'm going to read a little bit and I want you to just be listening for a couple of things that are going to happen in chapter one. Uh, first, they're going to talk about uh, this, this author, we're going to say it's Paul, but Paul's going to write about and he's going to say, hey, Christ is superior to the things we had in the past. So the angels, the, um, uh, the priests, the different layers, and he's going to quote like seven different quotes from the Old Testament, okay? So I'll call them out as we go, but it's, it's really short. So listen, listen along and let's listen to uh, Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of, of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, so that's only four verses, but he sets out his theme right at the beginning that a long time ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke, there's a superior method that, um, that Christ came. So, okay, got it. We, we agree with that. And then he says... Um, Let's see, Christ, his son, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world, right? Christ is the creator of the world. And then he says, he is the radiance of glory of all things. So this, um, remember in the past, they had this uh, Shekinah, Shekinah, the, the presence of God, this, this cloud and this pillar. I love the uh, hymn number six, Redeemer of Israel, right? A, uh, it says, uh, was it a, pil a, a pillar by night, a cloud by day, and a pillar by night? Remember, that's what the Israelites followed around. Um, and so he is this, this glory, this, um, this cloud, this, this presence of God. He is saying he is the radiance of that glory. And he is the exact imprint of his nature, of God's nature. It's a reference to like when you have a seal, like a signet ring that you press into wax and it makes an exact um, inverted stamp. Um, that's, that's what he's saying here. He is the exact imprint of God. He's, he's exactly like the father, right? He's exactly like him. So kind of a cool metaphor. Um, and then he upholds the universe by his word of his power. Right? He's powerful, his word, his command, his authority. After making purification for sins, after his sacrifice in Gethsemane and on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
uh, we, we see this reference a lot, right? They look into the heavens. Stephen looks into the heavens and acts and he sees, um, God on his throne and then Christ on the right hand, sitting on the right hand. Um, in Daniel seven, we see the same vision, right? Daniel sees this vision of the ancient of days and then on seated on his right hand is the son of God. And so, so there's this, uh, throne and, and, in this image of two there. So kind of cool. So he's referring back to those. So they're like, yeah, and his work is done. He has been, he has been, he's seated, right? He's not standing. Um, he is seated. He is a part of the ruling, ruling family. And he has become much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. You're going to see this references to angels a lot. The idea that, that sometimes the, the, the prophets or the various patriarchs had interfaced with angels, these ministers, these messengers, these um, special messengers from God. And he's saying Christ isn't just a messenger, right? Christ is, is more than just the angel. Christ is, is God. He's seated at the right hand of the father. So it's, it's telling us that. So he's setting this whole thing. He is the creator he is the exact imprint of God. He is the presence of God, this glory. He is seated at the right hand. He is, wow, okay? And then he goes in and, and our quotes begin. Verse five, for of which of the angels did God ever say? Like, when did, when did God ever say this of the angel? And he's gonna quote here from Psalms 2, seven. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then, when he says, or again, another quote, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son, which is the Davidic promise. This is from 2 Samuel 7, saying, I will be a father, and he will be a son, the king. This is the promise that David had and kind of failed, right? But this son, Christ, will not be failed. I will be to him a father. So he's quoting. Then he's going to give another line in another quote. Um, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, quoting Deuteronomy 32, 43, let all God's angels worship him. And then verse seven of all the angels, he says, quote, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Psalms 104.4. But of the sun, he says, quote, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Quoting Psalms 45, 6 and 7. And, another quote, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Psalms 102, 25, 27. And to which the angels have ever said, quote, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. Psalm 110, 1. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Wow, chapter one. Uh, how many quotes was that? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven quotes. Lots of Psalms, Deuteronomy, Second Samuel. So, so Paul here is laying out, I know it might not be Paul, but let's just say Paul. Um, Paul is laying out this just cr- well-crafted letter Christ is more. And, and it was prophesied all along that he was going to be. And then he just goes through and just layers it on heavy. Now, 
One of the reasons I am reading from the English Standard Version is because it breaks up the verses a little bit different than we do in the columns. Um, it makes it really clear that they're quotes, so it's easier for me to see it. So I love the King James, but in this case where it's doing a lot of quoting, it sets it off so I can see it. It's just a formatting change. So, uh, so you can really see that almost this whole chapter is quoting, and he's saying, hey, Christ is superior, and you could see that it was coming. Okay, cool stuff, worth looking up. Uh, I obviously looked him up and made some notes as I went, so kind of fun to do. Then it keeps going, Ver, uh, chapter two. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just, just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such as a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who he who heard, while God, who bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Um, this is, it's a little bit hard. This one I had to kind of unpack a bit. Did you catch it, though? Maybe you caught it better than I did. But I think what the author here is saying is that, hey, we have to pay a lot closer to attention attention to this new message of Christianity that we've heard, lest we just drift away. Because... Since the message was declared by angels was reliable, meaning the Old Testament, uh, that was the really belief, especially in the first century, they really thought that angels were super prevalent. So this is going to resonate with them. They, for us, you might not have picked it up, but they're saying, hey, that Old Testament, as it was given down by angels, whether it was given to Moses or whichever prophet, uh, these ministers that brought the message to the prophets, it proved reliable, but every transgression, every... A uh, thing that you did had a law and a penalty, right? And so you're saying, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I remember how the Old Testament worked. And how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So if you give up this new Christianity, this new higher covenant, the old one was hard, but the new one is that much greater and you would be walking away from something even greater. Then he goes on to then say, not only is this greater, but the founder of the salvation is greater. Verse five, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, quote, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjugate, subjugate, subjection under his feet. Psalm eight, four and six. Then he, the quote's over and he says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his own control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Oh, that is so powerful. I love that. He's, he's quoting this psalm, and then he's saying, that's Christ. It was Jesus that we talked about. And he was crowned with honor and glory because of the suffering of death, so, but, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He sacrificed himself for you. He sacrificed for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist 
in bringing many sons to glory should be made the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. It was fitting that the one who created everything should be uh, the founder of not only the world, but of salvation would bring perfection through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, another quote, I will tell you you, of of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And, another quote, I will put my trust in him. And again, another quote, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who, through fear of de- though fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He's not, Christ came to suffer and die for all of us. He came and he partook of all the same things that we might have, so that he doesn't destroy us, but he destroys the devil. Oh, so cool. Therefore he hath made, uh, made to be, ah, Sorry. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect. He had to be human so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because of himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ had to be made like his brothers and sisters. He in every respect not just so he could make the atonement. We know that part, but I love this part because when he was tempted, he is able to help those when they're tempted. He suffered to not only do the atonement and the sacrifice, but to to help us when we are tempted because he says, I've been there. I know it, brothers and sisters. Wow. Are you just loving this? I love this. Um, So you start to see the role of Christ in this um we're i think let's see where we are i think we're out of time ah we're out of time all right well that's hebrews one and two we'll hit uh three four five six next time thanks scriptorians keep reading